1 Corinthians 15. All right. I'm kind of excited. We're getting towards the end of the book, and I'm, that'd be two books that I've finished. I'm pretty proud of myself. But all right, look here in 1 Corinthians 15 tonight. I want to preach to you tonight about where we stand, where we stand. And a lot of times you think of where we stand as far as taking a particular stance against something, but uh, that's not quite the direction of the message tonight. So let's look here in 1 Corinthians 15, look in verse 1. The Bible said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. See, that's where you stand. You stand in the gospel. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. All right. Father, thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us tonight. Lord, thank you, God, for these folks, Lord, that have gathered, Lord, to hear the word of God preached, that the Lord taught, Lord. God, pray that, Lord, you'd minister. God, Lord, do what needs to be done tonight in the hearts of these folks that are here. Lord, help us, God, to take your word, apply it to our hearts, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He says, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Now, the gospel is defined here in, the, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If anybody ever asks you what the gospel is, and we'll go into this in more detail in a, a future messages, but let me just give it to you in summary. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, he says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That is the gospel. The gospel is not Matthew to Revelation. That's the New Testament. There are some folks you'll talk to and they'll, you know, you ask them, well, what's the gospel? And they'll tell you, well, it's Matthew to Revelation. No, it is not. And we'll, we'll cover this in more detail when we get in, into uh, maybe next week. and what, We might even cover some of it on Sunday. But if, if the gospel is everything from Matthew to Revelation, then you have serious problems because Paul says in Galatians chapter 1 that if any man preaches any other gospel unto you than that which I have preached, let him be accursed. It's a strong statement. He says not only if any man does that, that's, this is Galatians 1 I'm, I'm telling you from, he says not only if a man does that, he says if, if an angel does that, he said, let him be accursed. You go to Revelation and you have a, an angel flying in heaven at the end of the tribulation preaching another gospel than the gospel that Paul preached. Is he accursed? Answer, no, he's not. So it, it tightens up things. You say, well, I, I don't understand that. Well, all I'm going to tell you is that if the gospel is everything from Matthew to Revelation, then you're going to run into contradictions that you're not going to be able to solve. So when you define the gospel as it is defined in the church age, which is where we live right now, right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a good place to go. Uh, Paul summarizes it here, and it is first and foremost the death of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures, the burial of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures, and the fact that He rose again according to the Scriptures. It's all according to the Scriptures, but it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now let me preach to those of you that have made a profession of faith. You, you, are, you have trusted Christ as your Savior. That's where we stand. That is where we stand. And if you ever get to a place to where you're moved from, from that place, you're going to be on very rocky ground. 
Uh, Paul, I quoted from you a minute ago, I quoted to you a minute ago from the book of Galatians chapter 1. What the book of Galatians essentially is, is a, is a treatise on the fact that Romans tells you that you're saved by grace through faith plus none, nothing minus nothing. There's no sacraments, there's no works, no baptism, no works of the law, I should say, no baptism. Well, Rome, the book of Romans explains that to you. Galatians explains the fact that you're kept saved by grace through faith plus nothing minus nothing. No works can keep you saved. No works could get you there. It's going to be very hard to explain how works can keep you there. But that's what the book of Galatians is, is talking about. In, in, in uh, Galatia, the church at Galatia, the church is at Galatia, somebody had come in and begun to teach that, somebody, that you could get saved by grace through faith, but then you had to work in order to keep your salvation. And Paul talks about the fact, he said, I'm amazed that you're so easily and so soon removed from that gospel that I preached to you. And he said, somebody's coming and they've started preaching another gospel, which is not another. And then that's when he goes on and says, if any man or an angel from heaven preaches any other gospel to you than the one that I've preached, let him be accursed. And so these are strong statements. So uh, that's kind of out of what we're trying to look at this evening, what I'm trying to draw your attention to this evening. What I do want you to understand, I want to make, uh, I want to try to magnify this idea where Paul says, this is where we stand. This is where we stand. Now, uh, for some of you, this will, this will be a little bit of review, for, but for others, this might be the first time you've ever heard this, this uh, kind of information. The Bible makes a difference between something called your standing and your state, and that does not, it doesn't always appear in those terms, but there is a big difference. Paul says we stand in the gospel. Uh, the term, the, the term standing is used to describe the spiritual condition, the spiritual position, I should say, rather, in contrast with his present obedience. In other words, when you got saved, the Lord did something in your soul. God did something in you that can never be undone, and it cannot be uh, negated by your lack of obedience or by your or it can't be improved upon by your amount of obedience and that that all has to do with what the bible terms as your standing and paul goes through many places and and deals with that but then there is on the other hand something that's called your state we'll look at a couple of passages here in just a second there's something that's called your state and that has everything to do not with your eternal salvation but with the way that you live uh, the Lord died at Calvary. You called on his name. You said, Lord, I believe that I'm a sinner. I, I trust you, Lord, to save my soul. And God saved you. You are now seated, according to Ephesians chapter 1, you're seated in heavenly places in Christ. But if you are honest with yourself, you know as, as well as I do about myself that you're not obedient 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Well, one is your standing. Seated in heavenly places in Christ, Christ is without sin. You're seated in heavenly places. You're not, you're not just sitting next to Jesus Christ. The Bible said you're seated with him. You're in Christ is what Paul terms about the church. But as far as your present life right here today on this earth, you're not obedient. The, hopefully, hopefully you're working on that. Hopefully you're heading in that direction, but there are times to where you are uh, disobedient, possibly even rebellious. 
And the preacher gets up and chews your ear off about that, and hopefully you find a place, get down on your knees in your pew or at home or down here at an altar. I, I advise you to take advantage of the altar. Well, altar is a wonderful place in a church, but you take advantage of those things, you get your heart right with God. That has to do with your state, and those two things are not the same. If you confound those, if you confound those things, there's going to be a world's worth of confusion that you're going to have a hard time dealing with. To hold your place in 1 Corinthians 15, and look with me very quickly. We don't have a whole lot of time to spend on this, but look with me in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and let's take a look at verse 15. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. This, this study that we'll be looking at tonight, what, what I've got prepared for you, this falls into the realm of what we call rightly dividing the word of truth, which is a phrase that you'll see here in this passage. Uh, there, all Scripture, the Bible says, is given by inspiration of God is, and is profitable. All Scripture, Genesis to Revelation. But all Scripture is not given directly to you. We talked about, I believe it was on Sunday, the fact that when God speaks to men, he speaks to three major groups of people. There are Gentiles, there are Jews. Jews are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes, and all of their children. Those are the Jewish people. That is Israel. That is, he, those are Hebrews. Well, everybody else is classified as, as a Gentile. And then there are those that have trusted Christ in this age of grace, this church age, I, I should call it. And those are neither Jew nor Gentile. That is a spiritual designation. Well, when you study your scripture, when you study the Bible that's sitting in your lap, it's a grave error to take things that were given to the Jew and apply them to the church. You say, well, why is that a grave error? Because they weren't given to you. If I wrote a letter to my wife and I expressed my never dying love to her and then some other lady picked it up and said, oh, he loves me. Uh, no, no, you're reading somebody else's mail. Uh, you could learn about my relationship with my wife. Of course, I wouldn't let those things get into your hands. <laughs> but, see, you could learn something about that. But that, that's not intended for you. Look, Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, study. Now, if you have any other version in here this evening other than a King James Bible, this verse will not be worded this way. Amen. And this is the only place in your Bible where you are told to study your Bible. Yeah. It's kind of interesting that no other virgin, version has that. But study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. So the point of studying is to, is to be approved unto the Lord so that you're not ashamed, well, how do we study? Well, the last phrase gives you insight onto that thing, rightly dividing the word of truth. There's a lot of guys, there's a lot of preachers out. Uh, I'll just go ahead and call his name. Stephen Anderson is one of them who's really pushed this here within the last several years that dispensationalism is crazy and it's cockeyed. Well, I got news for you. If you're not a dispensationalist of some kind, we're not talking about chopping up the Bible and saying nothing else is profitable. But if you're not a dispensation of some kind, you're going to run into contradictions that you're going to be unable to solve. And that's just all there is to it. And so, anyways, that's something that you need to take into consideration this evening as we embark on this thing, talking about your, your standing and your state. Now, 
the different the difference between where Christian sta- stands and what his current state is at any given time. You can take your Bible and look over in Romans chapter five. Hold your place, First Corinthians fifteen, and look with me in Romans chapter five. Uh, I guess it's maybe once a year. Might might be uh, less often than that. Uh, our executive branch, our, our president, gives what they call the uh, the state of the union. And what that speech is supposed to be is basically telling you how the country's doing or what the what he has for as far as the goals of the country are. But what, what my point is is that when he says it's the state, when they say it's the state of the union, what they're talking about is how are we doing right now? So when you're talking about your standing in your state, your state is how are we doing right now? Your standing is how are you regardless of how you're doing right now? There's a difference in your Bible. Look in uh, Romans chapter 5 and look at what he says here. He says, to illustrate, this is, this is a, a great explanation on what your standing is. And I'll contrast it here in just a second with your state. Romans 5 verse 1, therefore, being justified by faith. Anybody in here justified by faith? I am. Justified by faith, not justified by the works of the law. We'll look at that here in a second. But I'm justified by faith. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. So we stand in the grace of God. That's where we are. Now, on top of that, because you're standing there, you have access to that grace. According to the book of Hebrews, we have the ability to come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain help in time of need. Now, if you've got a situation, boy, it's kind of hard to illustrate, but if you could just draw a little box right where I'm standing, I'm standing in grace. That is my position. That's where I'm at. But you know, there's a lot of folks that are standing in certain places. They never take advantage of where they're standing. I believe it was, uh, I can't remember if it was Sunday morning or Sunday night. I preached about the prodigal son. And you remember the prodigal son goes out, blows his daddy's inheritance. But the elder brother is back home. You know where he's at? He's at daddy's house. And you know what? He belly aches to dad and he says, you never threw me a party. You never gave me a fatted calf and threw me a party. And you know what his daddy said? His daddy basically told him, you could have threw yourself a party. That boy had access to everything that dad had. As far as dad was concerned, according to what you saw in Luke chapter 15, according to the scriptures, that everything that that daddy had, it was that elder brother's at any time if he wanted to use it or, or do whatever he'd like to do as far as enjoying those things, he could have. He was standing To use the illustration, he was standing in a position of grace. He had access, but he didn't take advantage of it. Well, you stand in the grace of God. Is that not true? How did you get saved? Did you get saved because you was a good guy or a good gal? No. That's not how people get saved. People get saved because they're not good people, because they're rotten, obnoxious sinners. And they recognize that according to the scriptures. And they say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, like that publican did when he prayed in the temple. And God is merciful on the basis of what Jesus Christ did for you at Calvary. He paid for your sins. 
That is, in, in what we call, as Paul terms it, Romans 5, that is the grace of God. So there you stand. We've got access to that. That's your standing. You've got access. Now watch what he says. Go back to verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, you trusted Christ as your Savior. If you did, you trusted Christ as your Savior. You're standing in the grace of God, and the result of that is that you have peace with God. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, God is angry with the wicked every day. God's mad. God is mad. He's angry with the wicked every day. The Bible said in John chapter 3, I believe it's verse 38, he said the wrath of God, talking about somebody who hasn't trusted Christ as their Savior, he said the wrath of God abideth on him. Well, when you trust Christ, God puts you into a place of favor by his grace. You say how? Simply by faith. God puts you into a position of, of favor by his grace, and that's where you stand. Okay? So, so because of that, you've got peace with God. God's not mad at you no more. Now, hold your place in Romans chapter 5. I know you're holding 1 Corinthians 15, but look over in Philippians, the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. That peace with God is connected with the new birth. He said you're justified by faith. Well, look in Philippians. Let me get there myself. Philippians chapter 4 and look in verse 6. Be careful for nothing. That's a commandment, right? Whatever that means, you may not understand what that means. That's not what we're looking at tonight, but that's a commandment. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. That's a commandment, right? Verse 7. And, here's the result, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You said, well, I thought I got peace with God when I was justified. No, you got peace with God at justification but you get the peace of God in Philippians chapter 4. There's a difference. There's a difference. There's a difference in God not being angry with you anymore and then you being at rest in your own soul because God gives you peace going through trouble. They're not the same. Verse 7, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's a result of something. You say, well, what's that a result of? That's a result of your obedience in verse 6. Peace with God is not a result of works of the law. Peace with God in Romans chapter 5 is a result of you trusting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. One is talking about your standing, Romans 5, talking about your standing. Philippians chapter 4 is talking about your state. Both of them come from the same place. You say, where do they come from? Well, look on down to verse 9. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Now, you know where peace with God comes from? It comes from the God of peace. You know where the peace of God comes from? It comes from the God of peace. But one is the result of just simply exercising faith in the fact that, hey, Jesus died for my sins. And the other is the result of, hey, you're going to have to pray. You're going to have to pour your heart out to God. Amen. Well, I thought I got saved and everything's going to be hunky-dory. 
No, no, you're going to have lots of trouble according to the book of Acts and according to the book of 2 Corinthians. And you're going to have to learn to pour those things out to the Lord. And if you don't learn to do that, you don't get peace of God. You still have peace with God. Is that understandable? Boy, it sure is quiet in here. All right. All right. So look in 2 Timothy chapter 2. All right. 2 Timothy chapter 2, look in verse 19. 2 Timothy chapter 2, look in verse 19. Now, here you have in one verse, both your standing and your state contrasted. But they both go together. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. Now, if you trusted Christ as your Savior, the Lord knows you as, as his child. You belong to the Lord God in heaven by the merits of Jesus Christ. God knows you, right? Okay. The Lord knoweth them that are his. But that's not where the verse stops. There's a period, but there's a continuation of thought. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Well, see, one has to do with your standing. The Lord knoweth them that are his. But the other has to do with you. It has to do with your personal obedience. It has to do with your, uh, your effort that you put into this thing that we call the Christian life. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So it's possible, listen, it's possible for somebody to be seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's possible for somebody to be in a spiritual condition as far as what's going on on the inside, as far as their relationship with God is concerned, but also to be very far from God and for you to look at them and say, well, I don't know about that. I don't know about that individual. They say they've trusted Christ as their Savior, but boy, it sure don't look like it. And I'm not throwing stones at you for making that judgment call. All I'm saying is that it's possible. It's possible. It's possible. Because those are two separate things. Now, we're in 1 Corinthians 15, and Paul is getting ready to wrap up the book in 1 Corinthians 15. Just trying to show you the difference between those two things. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians 1 here in a second. But Paul is wrapping up 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and he's getting ready to close down. He's got some stuff that he's got to talk about. And the thing that he starts out with this thought in 1 Corinthians 15 is, let's go back to the gospel for a second. And he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I have preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein you stand. Now let me just recall to your, your mind who Paul's talking to. We've just come, and it's been quite some time that we've gone through the passages, but we've been through 1 Corinthians 1. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen chapters. Chapters two, chapters three, to about chapters fourteen is Paul saying, You're carnal, you're bad. You've got this problem. Your church is messed up here. You've got this going on and you need to put these people out. You've got this going on and you need to stop it. You've got this going on and you need to get your family straightened out. You got That doesn't sound like saved people. You say, what's going on? Well, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at, look at what Paul says. We went through this, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but I do want to point this out. And then I'll make my point and then we'll close tonight. Just a real simple thought. But this is necessary to make the point here this evening. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 
And 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. And Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints. Well, there ain't nothing about the church at Corinth that sounds sanctified. But Paul said they are. Now, I'm not going to cover the doctrine of sanctification tonight, but I just will re remind you there's a sanctification that takes place when you get saved. And then there's a sanctification that you have to contribute to as a Christian. You say, well, what's the deal? They, it's the same word, but it's a difference between your standing and your state. And what Paul is addressing in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is a group of people who their standing is the very same as the guy that's writing to them. If you know anything about the Apostle Paul, you've probably got a high opinion of him, as you should. Paul wasn't perfect, but he's a much better Christian than I am. Uh, Paul said, I'm free from the blood of all men. Paul said, I haven't shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. Paul, Paul there's a lot of things that Paul had right that I frankly come short on. But you know what? Uh, when Paul writes to these folks down at the church at Corinth, he says, unto the church of God which is sanctified in Christ Jesus, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Paul said, as far as your salvation is concerned, right when he opens up the book, he said, as far as your salvation is concerned, you're just as saved as I am. Now, that's not, that's not how we would typically deal with people that aren't right. You ungodly reprobate. And sometimes that's necessary. Sometimes it's necessary to chew somebody's ear off. But when Paul starts, you know where Paul starts? He doesn't start with their state. As a matter of fact, it takes him two chapters to rev up to that point. It takes him two chapters to get to the place of, hey, you're in a bad, you're in a bad spot. The way that you're living is an absolute disaster. The place where he starts is, you're saved. Hey, I'm writing to the church, and those of you that have trusted Christ as your Savior, you're just as saved as I am. You're just as sanctified as I am. It's a wonderful place. It's a wonderful point. You say, you've heard it before, and possibly you've even said it before. I know I've said it before. He, could, he couldn't do that and be saved. She couldn't do that and be saved. Well, why not? Because you don't do it? I'm not making justification for it. I'm not making... But listen, if, if, folks, if folks were doing it in People's Baptist Church, what they were doing in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, my fleshly reaction would be to put them out of the church, but not for the sake of sincerity and truth like Paul says, that should be your motive. The, the, the reaction in the flesh would be pull the trigger and shoot the gun because God have mercy, how could anybody do what they were doing in 1 Corinthians 5? If you don't know what I'm talking about, just go back and look at the first couple of verses and you'll see how bad it is. Oh, nobody could do that and be saved. Well, in 2 Corinthians, the guy gets right and they receive him back into the assembly. I just don't see how somebody could go out and go on a drunken binge and still be saved. Well, if they trusted Christ as their Savior, they're saved. Yeah. Listen, stopping drinking is not what saves you. Yeah. 
stop stopping smoking dope and stopping uh, cussing and stopping all that stuff. That, those things are not things that save you. You should stop those things. You should stop those things. You say, why? Because it's right to stop those things. But that's not what saves you. What saves you is not your righteousness. It's you, Romans chapter 10, submitting yourself to the righteousness of God, which is Jesus Christ. That's salvation. How many of you submitted to that? You trusted Christ as your Savior. Okay, that's what puts you in Christ. You say, well, you know, I have this hang up here and I have this hang up here. Well, you need to get that ironed out, but that's not what puts you in Christ. Verse 3, grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, he couldn't do that and be saved. Well, why not? You say, well, Christians don't act the way that this particular guy acts or they don't act the way that this particular uh, lady acts. Well, all I can say is that you're probably right. Christians aren't supposed to act that way, and Christians don't act that way. But you, you don't get saved by the way that you act. Uh, you know, my kids, I, I love my kids, but my kids at times act like animals. Ain't that true? You just sit down at the dinner table and watch them eat. And I got one of them that loves to have, by the time he, <laughs> I said he, <laughs> gave it away. That narrows it down. <clears throat> by the time he gets done eating, there's more food on the table than there is on the plate. They act like animals. They act like hogs. <laughs> Ain't that right? Well, and anyways, we'll just leave it at that. But uh, act like animals. That don't make them animals. They're people. Well, see, one, you, you say, but yeah, they make such a mess. But, but the, the issue of them making a mess on the table, all that has to deal with is maturity. That just takes some training. It takes some time. Well, people get saved from really bad backgrounds. Some folks are dopeheads. Some folks are carousers. Some folks are drunkards. Some folks are uh, got blasphemy and all kinds of filthiness in their mouth. And listen, I, I want to make it clear tonight. You don't become over a process of time. You don't become a Christian. You get saved. And at that moment, you are now born again. You don't stop all of this stuff and weasel your way in or, uh, or wedge your way into being a Christian. Well, I'm going to clean up my life and I'm going to become a Christian. No, you'll clean up your life and die and go to hell because that's not what saves you. What saves you is what Jesus Christ did for you at Calvary and you trusting that. But when you trust Christ as your Savior, there is a whole process of discipleship. There's a whole process of learning that has to take place in order for you to be who you're supposed to be. Look in verse 9. The Bible says, well, look in verse 8. Who shall also confirm you unto the end, talking about Jesus Christ, verse 7, who shall also confirm you unto the end that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at what he says. God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful. God is faithful. You are not. I am not. But thank God I don't get my salvation on the basis of whether or not I'm faithful. I get my salvation because God is faithful, and I believed that. I believed what he said. I get my salvation from the fact that God's faithful. That's what he said. God's faithful by whom you're called under the fellowship of Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Uh, what it boils down to, listen, what it boils down to a lot of times is when you look at folks and say, well, they couldn't possibly be saved and do that. What it boils down to is that a lot of times you're looking at them and making a judgment call, not based on what you see in the scripture, but based on the way that you're living. Because you're the most spiritual person that you know. And if somebody doesn't measure up to your standards, then of course they couldn't be saved. But you got to get out of that mindset and realize that they're not saved. They're, they're saved the same way that you got saved. Yeah. Not by works, not by cleaning up their life. They get saved by trusting Jesus Christ. All right, look, look back in, in first, first uh, Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll take a look here. And let me just make a point, and then we'll close. First Corinthians chapter 15, look in verse 1. He said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also... Ye have received, and wherein you stand. So you're standing in this gospel. Now watch what he says. By which also ye are saved. Now immediately in the context in which you're reading, you think, oh, soul salvation. But we've been through this several times here in this church, and I've tried to point out to you that when you see the word saved, that doesn't always refer to the salvation of your soul. Because you're getting ready to read something that's going to make it very difficult to be the salvation of your soul. Watch what he says. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye believed in vain. If that's soul salvation, then what that means is that if you forget something, you're no longer saved. And that's not true. There are several verses throughout the New Testament that show that that's not true. We don't have time to run those things tonight, so let me just tell you what he's talking about. He said, by which also you are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you. Hold your place there and go over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Real simple thought tonight, but if you can get a hold of it, if God can get it in your heart, I think it might help you. First, uh, First Timothy chapter 4, and look in verse 16. Uh, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, writing to Timothy, he says, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. That implies that somebody's going to try to get him to quit continuing in doctrine. Going to try to get him to preach on finances and family and how to get along with others and avoid things like the resurrection of Jesus Christ and avoid really deep doctrinal things because, you know, no, who has an interest in that? Paul said, continue in them. He said, continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Well, Paul, Timothy's already saved as far as his soul's concerned. Why would Paul be writing to him and giving him instruction on how to pastor a church if Timothy wasn't saved? So he's not talking about soul salvation in 1 Timothy chapter 4. You say, what's he talking about? He's talking about his life. He's talking about his ministry. He said, you take these doctrines, these things that I've taught you, these things that you see in the scriptures, and he said, you continue in those things. And he said, this is going to save you. It's going to save your life. It's going to save your ministry. It's going to save you. He said, It'll save you, and not only you, but it's going to save them that hear you. Those people that you're ministering to, if you'll continue in the doctrine, it's going to save them. Now, hold your place in 1 Timothy 4. Now, look back at what he says 
and take that back here to 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I have preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand. So I'm standing in the gospel, standing in the grace of God. By which also, what's that which refer to? It refers to the gospel. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you. Now, listen, you know, Paul said Romans chapter 1 verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know that. But the gospel also has a saving power to your life. It, it can do something for your life right now. You say, well, what can it do for my life right now? It can give you peace. It can give you joy. You say, well, I know, I know, that, I, I know that God gives me that all when I got saved. No, no. It can do that right now. David prayed in Psalm 51. He said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He said, uphold me with thy free spirit. You know what a lot of people need? They don't need to be reborn again. It's kind of redundant. They don't need a new birth a second time. You get the new birth once and it's good for eternity. You don't need to be reborn again. What you need is you need to be rejuvenated. You need to be revived. You need to possibly rededicate. You need, uh, you need God to deal with your heart again. Uh, one preacher used to preach a message talking about fresh oil. What you need is you need a, a fresh anointing of that oil, which is a picture of the Holy Ghost. Well, see, that gospel has the ability to put some things into you. It has the ability to save your life. Well, how does it do that? If you remember Look at what he says. He says, by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you. Well, what did he preach? You're a sinner. You're on your way to hell. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He loved you. He came to this old wicked world and he died for your sins. And if you'll simply believe what he did for you at Calvary and you'll call on his name, he'll save you. I don't have to do anything to be saved. You don't have to do nothing to be saved. All you have to do is believe and call on him. Well, that's a great relief when that finally breaks through on you. It's a, because here you are working and the harder you work, the shorter you come if you're honest with yourself. Here's God's list of rules. God says, thou shalt, thou shalt not. You can't keep those rules. That was what the history of Israel proved. Okay, well, you come to that realization, man, I can't keep those rules. And so you get out on your knees and you say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and God has mercy on you because you're a sinner. Amen. Well, that brings a great source of peace. It brings a great source of joy. Now you're justified, and then you start setting out in this life, and you say, man, I've got to improve. I've got to become a better Christian, and you do. But you know what you'll start doing if you're not careful? You'll start looking at your life for the merit of being saved. You'll start looking at, at yourself and saying, man, I'm not worthy to be a Christian. I don't deserve to be a Christian. Look at how short I still come. I've been saved for 20 years, and I've only read my Bible through twice. I've, I've been saved for 15 years, and I haven't even led a soul to Christ. Those are bad things. That, that's things that you should work on. But what you'll do is you'll start looking on the inside and saying, man, I come short. Man, I, how could I be saved? Yes, sir. 
And now you're in the same position where you was earlier. Now you're looking at other people saying, well, they couldn't be saved because they don't do that and because they do this. Now you're looking at yourself, man, saying, man, maybe I'm not saved. I couldn't be saved and do this. How could I think these thoughts and be born again? How could I do this and... Well, see, what you're doing, what that does is it lays the foundation for your life to be, start being torn apart and start being shredded apart because there's no peace there. There's no joy there. You can't have peace there. You can't have joy there. Listen, you fall short. Now that you're saved, you still come short. You still don't measure up, and you should work on that. But you cannot confuse your standing with your state because it won't be very long if you start saying, well, I don't deserve to be saved. I must not be saved. There goes your peace. You still got peace with God, but you don't have no peace of God anymore because now you're not looking to Jesus Christ for your justification. You've still been justified by him, but you've forgotten. You forgot that this is what justifies you. You forgot that what justifies you is the Lord Jesus Christ dying for your sins at Calvary. Look at what a bad guy I am. Look at what a bad lady I am. Yeah, you are. You're horrible. Get right with God. But that's not what saves you. Whether you're a good individual or whether you're a bad individual, that's not what puts you into the family of God. What puts you in the family of God is what Jesus did right here. Well, you put, keep that in memory, Paul says, by which also you're saved if you keep in memory what I've preached unto you unless you've believed in vain. Well, see, there's some things there. There's a salvaging that'll take place. Somebody will come to you and say, man, you're bad. Paul told Timothy, he said, take heed to the doctrines. Take heed to thyself and to the doctrines. He said, continue in them for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Somebody come up to you and say, you're a bad guy. And you say, oh, yeah, I know. And they say, well, you, you're doing this and you're doing that. You couldn't possibly be saved. And all you can do is look at them and say, well, if I was counting on that for my salvation, you're probably right. I'd, I'd be dead. I'd, I'd, I'd be in hell. I deserve it. But I'm not counting on that to save my soul. See, that's why, that's why it doesn't work for somebody who hasn't trusted Christ to come up to somebody who has and say, you're a bunch of dirty, rotten hypocrites. Look at the way you guys live. All oh, that church is just filled with a bunch of hypocrites. You're not telling us anything new. We know we're hypocrites. That's why we're here. You say, well, you're the one preaching. Who, who, whoever preaches to you? Man, today I think I've listened to about four or five different sermons. I have to have it just the same, more so than you do. I, you're not telling me anything new. You're a dirty, rotten, hypocrite preacher. Of course, I agree with you. Uh, Martin Luther said one time the devil showed up in his room and said, you couldn't possibly be saved. You do this and you do that. You do this and you do that. And he said, I'll tell you a couple of sins. He said he told the devil, I'll tell you a couple of sins that you missed. Now, I'm not sure I'd be that brave towards the devil but that's a good point. That's a good mentality. You couldn't possibly be saved. Listen, you can get to some really, really, really low places as a Christian. You can get to a place to where somebody can look at you and say, there ain't no way that they've ever been saved. And listen, listen, it's possible you can get there. And listen, if you get to that place, don't get mad at people when they start looking at you and questioning your salvation. You got there. That was voluntary action. But I will say this, because it's what the Scripture teaches. 
This is what we're talking about this evening. If you trusted Christ as your Savior, listen, it doesn't matter how low you get. It doesn't matter how backslid you get. You're saved. Because you didn't do anything to get saved. You trusted Jesus Christ. Uh, look in Romans chapter 3. This would be a good place to close. Romans chapter 3. Let me end here. This would be a good place to make it clear. I think it's really interesting that Paul opens up 1 Corinthians 15 with the gospel. And so that's really what we're doing tonight is we're refreshing memory with the gospel. It's a wonderful thing to be saved. Look in Romans 3 verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that we may be justified. That's not what it says. It saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. God said, you're guilty. You say, well, well where's, where's the proof that I'm guilty? The law. You say, oh, I think I'm a pretty good guy. The law says you're not. I think I'm a pretty good lady. The law says you're not. I think I'm a good kid. The law says you're not. And listen, if you want more evidence than that, all you have to do is look at the history of one nation that God chose out of all the nations in the world and chose to write almost an entire book about them, the Jews. Just look at their history. You're not good. Verse 20, therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. What that law does is it shows you that you're a sinner, helps you to understand what sin is. But verse 21, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there's no difference for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. You say, what's that all talking about? God can remove your sins. God can wash away your sins by the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ at Calvary. Listen, as a Christian, in the middle of trying to remember, well, I, I've got to do this and I've got to be this way and I've got to improve here. Do those things. We'll preach on those often. Do those things. But don't, don't forget that that's not what saves you. What saved you is what Jesus did right here and the simple fact that you believed. And listen, if you'll spend some time, I bet you if you'll spend some time from between tonight and Sunday dwelling on the fact that, hey, man, I'm saved even though I'm a scoundrel, I guarantee you, you'll get a little revival. Guarantee you, you'll get a little bit of joy, a little bit of peace of God in your heart. Be a great blessing. Lord, thank you, God, for your goodness to us tonight. Lord, believe it was a simple thought. Lord, pray that you take these things. God, bless them to our hearts, God, and we'll thank you for it. God, thank you for what you did for us at Calvary. Thank you, Lord, that we, uh, Lord, when we could not, Lord, provide our own way, God, you provided it freely, God, through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Good night. May the Lord bless you.